I want to welcome those that are new especially. We always love it. We love meeting new people. Uh, we have, love having new conversations. Maybe you've been coming for two or three weeks, but you never stop to say hello. I know the Cowboys play at noon. I'm very much aware of that. So we'll be done by 1.30, I promise, okay? I'm just saying. But if you'd like to linger for a while afterwards, we'd love to meet and connect with you for a few minutes. Thank you so much for coming. And I want to I want to clarify. Sometimes we have learned you got to hear things six or seven times before you really, really hear it. Okay. So I want to make sure you understand. Next, this is the last weekend where things are quote unquote normal around here until January seventh and eighth. Next weekend, uh, everything's turned upside down. We're having worship on Saturday night, not like Saturday night worship in here. It's going to be a Christmas music experience in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. Uh, our, our traditional choir, plus voices from the other services, even from up here, are going to join that group to present the Christmas story and song. If you like that sort of thing, I'll be there. Love to connect. We'll have that experience together. Then on Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11 only, our kids are going to lead us in worship a very short, about 30 minutes, and you're going to be amazed. You're going to think, oh, it's just a kid worship service. Man, when you allow God to speak to you through a child, sometimes you hear things and learn things you've never known before. So please just don't blow this off because, ah, oh, that's not for me. No, I promise you, it's going to be for you. And yes, everyone can wear their pajamas if you're so inclined. You don't have to. But you're welcome to. You, you can do that. And in the crossing out there, there's going to be lots of family-friendly things that you're going to want to experience with your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. It, it's going to be the bomb. And in the following weekend, it is Christmas Eve. And so we'll have a traditional service on Friday night the 23rd. You heard Chris say three in here on Saturday and none on Sunday. If you stay home, we're going to send you a little something, kind of a Christmas encouragement around 9.30 in the morning, kind of give you a little boost, kind of help you a little bit. Only three to five minutes, won't last very long at all. Then the following weekend is New Year's, December 31st, January 1st. We, have, we cannot open these doors without laity. Uh, even if we had all of our paid staff on, it would not be enough to open up the doors and get everything going. And our servants just work so hard during the Christmas season. So we're telling our servants... Hey, rest, recover, and we're going to deliver something to your home on New Year's morning for a communion experience there in your home to start off the year taking communion, and then we get back going on January 7th and 8th. So, you heard it, and I want to remind you something very, very important. I want to share a goal with you. We've established a goal of on Christmas Eve, our four services, that we want to connect with 2,401 people on Christmas Eve. 2,401. Now, there's only one way that happens. That's if everybody here focuses on one. 2,401. That you invite someone. Here's what I noticed. The further along we get in our faith and you kind of find your church, you stop inviting. You just hang out with your friends, your small group, people you know, and you just kind of forget about there's people around you who need to know the good news of God's healing love. I want to put the little picture of Betty back up here on the, on the screen one more time. This little, uh, what do you think she is? Probably five, maybe six, somewhere to think maybe. She just lost her mother. Let that sink in. I, I shared with you last week that my, my dad died. My mom and one of my sisters are in this service. I got to have my dad for 67 years. He died at the age of 92. And yeah, I have a lot of different emotions, but you know what? It primarily just overwhelming gratitude. But how do you get there at the age of five, six, or seven? And to have Christmas and your mommy is not there. And how are you the dad, the single dad to that little girl? When you're grieving to encourage her. And I'm just saying there are stories like that all around you of different kinds, of people just waiting for an invitation from you. So please, be open, your spirit, your mind, your eyes, to who God would bring into your path, that you would connect with, hear their story, and go, hey, listen, we got this thing happening on Christmas Eve. Come, we'll have hot chocolate and have a good time, and we'd like to see you come to our Christmas. And who knows, they just might meet Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you.
as we open up this word, this written word, we thank you for the living word, that is for Jesus, for his healing presence, for his comforting presence, for his sustaining presence, for his forgiveness, for his mercy, for his grace, for his truth, most of all, God, just for the way he shows us what it is to love. And God, there are some of us in this room who need an experience like that. We need a reminder of really who your son Jesus is. Some of us, God, need a little help in our own life, overcoming, healing, moving forward, taking care of some issues that we have. And so, God, I don't know who, but I pray someone this morning, God, will experience the living presence of your son Jesus as we open up your word. Do it as only you can, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been working through this Christmas season looking at the different characters in the Christmas story through a prayer called the Serenity Prayer. And week number one was, God, give me this serenity to accept that which I cannot change. Week number two was, God, give me the courage to change what I can't. Now, if you did not, you were not here and you have not heard one of those messages, we put all of our messages on the website. You can, find, you can download them on a, a podcast. We have all our messages on podcasts. You can do that. You can download the app. It's going to be right there here by, by late tomorrow or Tuesday. You can, um, you can go on YouTube. I'm just suggesting to go catch up. These things all kind of come together. But after you pray the first one about strength to accept, and the second one, courage to a change, you understand you have a problem. And here's the problem. How do I know in my life what I'm to accept and what I'm to have the courage to change? How do I know what to do? I have a dilemma. So I have somebody in my life, right, who's clutchy and needy. They're kind of whiny. They're kind of a drama queen. And... I want to say something to them, but they're always saying, hey, listen, you just need to accept who I am. I'm clutchy, I'm whiny, I'm needy, I'm a drama queen. But I look at you and I go, no, that's not what God wants for you. You don't have to be clutchy and whiny and needy and a drama queen. You can change. You can get help. You can get counseling. You can change your attitude. You can change your mindset. You actually can be a different person, the person that God wants you to be, but they don't receive that information very well. Or let's say you're a parent. You have adult kids, and you just know your adult son or daughter is about to make a horrible decision, a decision that's really going to impact their life in a negative way. You name it. Maybe they'll get into a relationship that you know this is going to be dangerous and harmful to their lives. Or maybe they're going to get married, and you know, you know good and well, they're not ready. They don't understand marriage, and so you're asking yourself, do I need to have the strength to accept, or do I need to have the courage to help change? Or maybe you would say of yourself, do I just need to accept that I'm an introvert, that I'm shy? That I'm bashful, that I just have to be a wallflower, I don't want anybody to really look at me and just kind of pretend I don't exist, or do I need the courage to once or twice a week to look somebody in the eye, to talk to somebody I do not know, knowing that God will help me if I do that? What is it? You see, what do I need to do? How do I know if I'm going to have the serenity to accept or the courage to change. Now that leads us to the very third important part of the prayer. Now I've been praying the whole prayer. Uh, we're not look, we don't have time to look at the whole prayer. First thing in the morning, last thing before I go to bed, I'm praying the whole prayer. I hope some of you are considering this. But I want to introduce you, if you've not noticed yet, the third part of the prayer, and we're going to pray it all together. We'll put it on the screen right here. Please join me out loud. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, as you're walking through the Christmas story, if you want to learn about wisdom, you talk about the wise men. The scripture sometimes calls them the magi. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to read the scriptures and kind of learn something about the wise men. And then you're going to see a couple of videos of some people who made a very important decision in their life. 
It took wisdom to make it. And then I'm going to give some of you, perhaps, the opportunity to make a similar, if not the exact same decision. Now, first of all, the wise men. What do the wise men look like? Well, we don't know exactly what they look like. Some people think they look like this right here. Yeah, we don't know exactly. Maybe it's the three amigos. We don't know. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what they look like. And some people can kind of wonder, why are the wise men in the story? They don't seem to fit in the story. Well, I think there are at least two reasons, and we're going to get to that. But a writer came up with this idea. He asked a question. What if it weren't in the story? It wasn't wise men. What if it was wise women? Wise women, how different would the story would be? And I think there's at least five reasons. Number one, they would have stopped and asked for directions. Number two, they would have arrived on time. Number three, they would have helped Mary with the delivery. Number four, they would have probably cleaned that stable. And number five, they would have brought practical gifts like diapers, something useful in the real moment. In other words, for Mary, it would have been a lot better experience if there would have been wise women in the story, not wise men. But that's not what the Bible says. It was wise men. Why are they there? At least two reasons. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. The wise men embody the basic wisdom decision every human being will have to make once they come face to face with Jesus. That everybody will have to make. It's a wisdom decision. Let's read the text. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. After Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I want you to notice one of the very stark contrasts in the beginning. The wise men are looking for a king. Herod wants to be king. Herod's goal in life is to remain on the throne. And anytime he hears about somebody else who also wants to be king, Jesus' title, King of the Jews, the scripture says, Herod's got a problem. So he's going to take care of the problem. If you know anything about Herod, you may be aware that he killed three of his own sons and one of his wives to maintain his throne. He was married, we don't know exactly how many times, but to nine, nine or ten at least different women. He, only, he really loved one. And he killed the only woman that he really loved and her mother, his mother-in-law, to keep his throne. You see, if you, if you are a king and somebody else comes along that says they want to be king, something has to give way. There's only room for one king. Now, when we started in September studying the Sermon on the Mount, we've been learning that when you give life, when you were born, your life is your little kingdom, and God gives you a little kingdom. And your reign is how, how far your will is effective and can influence others. That's your reign. And with every kingdom comes a throne, only one. So here's the ultimate question in your notes, number two. Who is sitting on the throne of my life? That's the question you have to answer. I'm going to ask you to wrestle with it this morning. Now, I'm sitting right here in a modern-day throne. This right here is an executive leather chair. It is padded. It has got special cushion. It's got these little pleats. It's got a little ergonomic design going on. It's got a little lift over here on the side, a hydraulic lift that makes it go up really high so the person sitting in can look down on everybody else they're talking to. Position of high authority. 
And in corporate America today, the person who sits in a chair like this is called the chairman or the chairwoman. It's the chair of authority. It's the chair of power. In fact, I feel a little powerful just sitting in this chair looking at y'all. Yeah, I do. And, and I, got this, I, I, need, I got this decision I need to make because, you see, we borrowed this chair from my wife's company. My wife is part of a company, owns a company, that sells stuff like this. I said, honey, I need a chair that I can use as a prop for the message. She says, okay, we'll have it. But now that I've sat in it, it's supposed to go back on Monday. I'm not so sure. I'm praying for the wisdom about do we keep it or does it go back? And then I'm thinking if we keep it, i got to pray for the wisdom who gets to sit in it. Because there's been other staff who sat in this chair. And they go, I like that chair. In fact, one Chris Kerr who's in charge of production. Now, you never see Chris. He walks around with a headset just making everything go along. He kind of makes sure worship happens. He sat down in his chair. He said, Rick, I think I want to buy that chair. I think I like that chair. So I now I've got this, who gets the chair if we keep it? Now, I think I, I know who gets the chair. <laughs> you see, there's a little King Herod in each of us that we all like the feeling and the power of sitting in a chair like this. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Really? I want you to meet a man whose name is Luke Beasley. Luke is an elder on session. He shared his testimony and devotion during his session devotion here back in September. And he talked about how he was climbing the ladder to sit in a chair just like this. Here's what God did. Notice the story. There's such a kind of dangling carrot or a bright shiny star that's out there and I don't know if there was ever a real end to it it was just hey I'm gonna keep working hard and I keep getting rewarded for it Luke Beasley um, 37 years old um, grew up in the area Burleson High School met my wife here in eighth grade actually um, and we dated all throughout we're high school sweethearts and we went to school together at Baylor just down the road as I graduated, I ended up getting a job with a company called Accenture. It's a management consulting company. I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't even know what it was when I went in for the interview. The deeper I got into it, the more I understood about the business world and saw really successful people and what they're able to achieve, the changes they could make. I started to see myself going that way. My job required me to be on the road and travel Monday through Thursday every single day. I was at the clients, at their headquarters, wherever that was, whether it was LA or Japan or DC or New York. And so that kind of built some isolation involved in where when I was at work, I was only at work and I was only around those people and my home was at home. And so I, I was basically living two different lives, so to speak. It was a very kind of incentivizing path just to work just that much harder, sacrifice this stuff, which is where I've kind of found myself the last several years, which is in order to make the jump, you're pouring almost your entire self into work. I was home for about three or four months, and then I was on the road again. While everyone else was in lockdown, I had to travel because my job was in supply chain, in manufacturing. And so the stress of that just was here. And then to add on top of that, what was going on at home, and then to add on top of that, I was trying to make partner at the same time. Just the timing of everything kind of came together into like a, a perfect storm. And I think, you know, through all of this, Brittany has been the rock in everything. I don't know how she did it with me being gone all the time, but she was able to, to pull it off, but our relationship had slowly started just being pulled because we were living two very separate lives with separate goals. There's a, you know, a moment there where we didn't see 
kind of where things were going. One, one morning, Brittany was on the front porch just meeting with God, basically, and you know, she felt like God was just saying, just be still, just hear me. I know the plan that I have for you. And this is going to be a year of restoration for you and for Luke and for you all together. I didn't fully embrace what that meant yet. But then, you know, about a month or so later, it was I got a phone call from one of my colleagues that said, hey, I've uh, just changed teams and our lead left. And I was wondering, you know, would you be interested? And I just kind of said, no, I'm fine. I'm kind of in this good position right now. I should make partner this year. And, you know, I'm not interested right now. So I kind of dismissed it. Um, but that just kept nagging on me. Um, but at the same time, I was weighing, you know, I'm still so close to partnership, I'm going to push forward. But I knew that if I made partner, it would only add to the pressure, add to the stress, add to the expectations at my job. So I ended up ultimately calling him back and come to find out the role was 24-7, remote, no more travel doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, but working for our company in January of this last year. My North America lead, along with almost the entire leadership team, which I would be a part of, left the company and went to another firm. So like what I'd been working for and trying to achieve and trying to be a part of was suddenly just ripped away anyway. It's like, hey, I had a different place for you. You don't even have to worry about wondering what it was like to be over there because it's not even there anymore. But now there's been like a massive restructuring of my life. The focus that I know now I have on like spending time with my kids and making sure that I'm present when I'm at their ball games or activities or, or even just making a point every morning now that I'm home. I'm gonna be part of dropping them off at school and making sure they have a good start to the day. Like the little things have become so much more important. Before I was like, well, as long as they have like food and they're taken care of and they've got a good trajectory of life going, then that's fine and Brittany's taking care of everything else. But now it's become much more of a partnership and we're fostering like real deep discussions in our kids even. For me, it's also trying to take the spiritual leadership role that I know that I should have been, but being vacant <laughs> in my kid's life, in my marriage, in our family for so long, kind of left a big void. I think that allowed a lot of things to creep in, a lot of the fear and anxiety and depression and stuff that just plagued us for so long. Not to say that we're completely like resolved of any of that, and I think it's a regular discussion and a journey and a continuous evolution, but we're in a much better place now. I'm now listening to what God has in, my, in the plan for my life, regardless of what my like own ambition is, I guess, and realizing and being sensitive that there's two very different things there, and a lot of times our own ambition gets in the way of God's plan for our life. My name is Luke Beasley, and Jesus sits at the throne of my life. Could you join me in thanking Chad and Wendy, Luke and Wendy for sharing their story, Luke and Wendy? It takes a lot of courage to do something like that. Luke and Wendy are working the connection point. They were here at 930. They're going to be out there in the crossing. Um, if you would like to meet Luke uh, and you would like to meet Brittany, his wife, they would love to share, love encourage you, just kind of help you, just if, you, if you're someone. And here's the decision. Herod wanted to be king. He would sacrifice anything to get to sit in a chair like this. But the wise men were looking for a king who would sit in a chair for him. Let me ask you, are you trying to be king? Or are you looking for a king? There's another reason why the wise men are in this story. 
uh, number three there in your notes. The wise men are a picture of God's heart for people who do not belong in the Christmas story. In other words, the wise men are a picture of what God's grace can do. Now, if you're anybody who knows the Bible, if you don't know the Bible, you're welcome here. If you never opened this book, you're welcome here. But if you know anything about the Bible, you probably know the Christmas story originally was for the people of Israel. That when Jesus was born, he was born Jewish. He lived in Israel, the people who were Jewish. And the wise men, the scripture says, were from the east. We think most likely Persia. But we know for sure they were not a part of Israel. They were not Jewish. They don't even belong in the story. They don't have the scriptures. They don't obey the Torah. They don't go to temple. They don't worship the one true God. They don't even belong in this story. And we're told that they are astrologers. The Bible is against people that do this astrology thing. It talks about it all the time. They're considered, he's supposed to be superstitious, fortune-telling, kind of a far-out-there sort of mentality, some mystical sort of thing. You know, back in the 1980s, I know some of you never heard of the 1980s. You're not even sure if they really existed. I can bear testimony the 1980s really existed. And in 1980, there was a crazy story went around about, about this woman who said she had psychic powers. And she sued her doctor $988,000 because she said that her doctor put her through a CAT scan and the CAT scan made her lose her psychic powers. Hey, I'm just saying, if she was a psychic, shouldn't she have known? That, that, that's all I'm saying about that. You know. But the reason the Bible's against astrology is because it's a form of idolatry. Anytime someone wants to tap into a spiritual power of any kind, just for their own purposes, to advance their own cause, to keep themselves on a throne, without any consideration of justice or compassion for anybody else, or about their own character, that's called idolatry. And the one thing we know about our God, any spiritual power, that comes from the one, the one true God, that spiritual power is this supernatural, sacrificial love that has nothing to do about self, but only cares about other people. It's not me, 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 me. It's always about others, always. God doesn't bless you except that you can be a blessing to others. That's what God's spiritual power is about. And that's why the Bible is so opposed to any sort of idolatry that's just about giving me what I need, I need, I need. And not only that, the magi in the Bible, the wise men are called magi. That's where you and I get our word magician. Hocus pocus, if you will. You name it, whatever. And when you read the Bible, in every other place in the Bible, the magi, the word magi is used in a negative word except in the Christmas story. Because our amazing and wonderful and awesome God takes this crazy astrology thing and he sends a star to these wise men. He uses their false idolatry, their superstitious beliefs to send them on a journey that leads them where they did not know where they were going at the feet of Jesus. And when they came to the feet of Jesus, they had a decision to make, like all of us do. Now, here's what I want to make sure you understand. The wise men have no business being in this story, morally, religiously, spiritually, ethnically. They don't belong in the story except for one thing. In the story of Jesus, everybody's welcome. What does everybody mean? It means everybody. It, nobody is perfect. What does nobody mean? 
It means nobody is perfect, even you, even the person sitting around you, me. And anything is possible with God. Except for that, they don't belong in the story. And the scripture tells us that the star shines up there. When they see the star in verse 10, it says they were overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? Some of your Bibles say exceedingly great joy. Because now they realize that God is not some mystical, abstract something up there in the stars way out there. That he's real. And I can have a relationship with this God. Because right there in verse 11, it says when they get there to the house and they see the child, they see the child with their own eyes and his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. Man, that's so powerful to me. You know, King Herod, he was religious and he was respected in society. He had the Torah, he had the scriptures, and he had the temple. But he had murder in his heart. The wise men, no scriptures. The wise men, no temple. But they only had worship in their heart. I find that fascinating. And when they get to that place where the baby is, they saw a throne. And the throne was not a throne of power and ego and wealth and authority ruling over other people. They saw a new kind of king, a humble, impoverished king laying in a feed trough, a little baby, vulnerable. And they worshiped him. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? I will tell you right here, these wise men, they do not even belong in the story. They're looking for a king. And here's what I believe. God used a star to interrupt their lives. To send them on a journey that led them to And they didn't even know they were looking for Jesus. But the star, they follow the star. And I believe God is still doing that today. That God is using stars, interruptions in people's lives that God doesn't cause, but they happen in your life. He uses them to send you on a journey. And some of you are seeking something more. Sometimes it's a victory. Sometimes it's a failure that sends you on that search. Sometimes it's getting married. Sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes it's the birth of a child. A birth of a child, you think, there's got to be more. You saw a request. But sometimes it's the death of a child, even the death of a grandchild. Sometimes it's a promotion. You get a new opportunity, a new job. Sometimes it's a job being taken away. But God is still using stars, interruptions in your life to lead people to Jesus. Now I want you to meet Chad Freeman. You got Luke and Brittany, you got Chad and Wendy. And Chad had an interruption in his life. And it led him to a decision that he had to make. I want you to meet Chad. My, my daughter hated me. She's the oldest of my kids. She didn't want anything to do with me. I was missing family functions. I was not there. I wasn't present for my family. Uh, I knew it was selfish. But it just, when something has a hold of you, it has a hold of you. And that's all you care about. I mean, it, it's bad when you get arrested for public intoxication in your own front yard. That happened to me. So growing up, about 12, 13 years old, my mom would go out and hit the bar scene all the time. She began to use alcohol as a babysitter for us. So she would go buy beer, leave it at the house, I guess figuring if we had beer there, we wouldn't go anywhere else. Uh, so started that at a pretty early age. Get into high school, do the typical high school things, go to the parties on the weekends, try to be cool, try to fit in with everyone. I was given it, 
I didn't have to go fight for it. I didn't have to go try to find the store that would sell it to teenagers. I could just get it at any time. I met my wife and didn't really drink after I met her. Started a family. Just, I could buy a beer and it'd sit in my fridge for two, three weeks. We, uh, family started growing, getting older. We moved to Burleson, moved into a new neighborhood. A lot of young families there, got kids our age. So we would hang out with them, new friends. We'd drink on the weekends. From the weekends, it kind of snowballed to drinking every day to on my way home from Dallas, I would start buying beer and drinking on the way home before I started drinking at home. Didn't really think of it as a problem and until it became a problem, you know. Uh, I was too deep when I realized it was a problem. The last nine, six months in my addiction, I felt like there was only one way out of my addiction and that was to end it all. I thought about it a lot. You don't think straight whenever you're not in the right mind, whenever you're drunk, whenever you're impaired by substance. Um, I told people constantly, I'm done, I'm done, you know. I spent time in a 30-day rehab. I've been in the rooms, the AA rooms. None of that worked for me. But one night I was sitting in my car, just wasted. And I don't know what it was, but I just started bawling. Uh, and I didn't just talk to God, I actually prayed. And uh, I don't know what was different. I woke up the next day and I felt like God responded to me. Um, and I got in the Bible. Um, I didn't really physically open the Bible, but I had a Bible app. I didn't want anybody to see me and think, oh, well, he's trying this again. So I kept it between me and God. Um, prayed every day. I used that. I used uh, lessons in my app about addiction, how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, just how to be a better person. I still wake up to this day and I tell God, hey, I'm not going to drink today and I know you got me. For there for a while, I know God carried me through not drinking, but I had to make that promise to him and keep it. But just wanting a relationship, people say you don't stop drinking until you want to, but you also don't have a relationship with God until you really want to. I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about the Bible, but I started reading it. Um, things grab you as you're reading. You may not expect something to grab you that day, but it grabs you. It makes you reflect on things you've done, things in your life. None of us are worthy of God's love like he gives it, but he still gives it. Get more involved here. Work with the children on Wednesday nights. I mean, I, that's what I do now. Wrap your arms around God. That's all I, I mean, that's, that's all that saved me. Favorite part about my life, now that I'm sober, is the time spent with my family. Because I didn't have it before. And I realize all that I missed out on. I'm Chad Freeman and Jesus sits at the throne of my life. Chad and uh, Wendy were at the uh, earlier service. I'm not sure if they're gonna be on the crossing, but it took a lot of courage. You know, the wise men, they didn't belong in the story. There was probably a time where the family didn't think that Chad belonged in the family and didn't belong in the church. 
but he discovered something. And here's the final thing in your notes. Apart from God's grace, I'm a train wreck. See, until you come to understand that, that apart from God's grace, you're never going to get it. It's just going to be religion. Here's the secret to Pathway Church. We're all in recovery. Some of us know it and some of us just are not. And I will tell you, if you don't know it, you're just a train wreck away. The secret of this church is that we're all just a bunch of ordinary, broken, bruised, messed up people who needs God's grace, period. Who's going to sit on the throne of your life? And let me tell you, you're not a good option. I know. I've tried it. And I find myself being enslaved to my desires. I find myself messing up people around me and digging a hole I can't get out of that somebody's got to come pull me out again. But I want you to know, you can know, you can have a personal relationship with God. You can. And he'll meet you right where you are. He'll send a star, whatever it takes to meet you. I'm going to make you two offers, and I'm going to get you out of here. If you, if you want to know God, here's the first one. When you leave here, steal one of our Bibles. Now, we're not, we're, I would say it's a gift, but I'm not going to stand back there and hand it to you. So just steal it. Just take it. No questions asked. And before you even steal it, I'm going to absolve you right now. You're absolved. I'm a professional. I can do that. I sit in a chair. It comes with authority, right? You're absolved before you ever take it. Just take it and then go home and read it. And there's a little book in the back of the Bible called 1 John. There's only five chapters. And if you read those five chapters, you're going to learn three things. Number one, just how much God loves you. Number two, he wants to be in a daily personal relationship with you and sit on the throne for you. And number three, he wants to forgive you and wipe the slate clean. When you read this book, there are statements all like this in the Bible. That's the Bible says like that. All are like sheep have gone astray. No one is righteous. Not even one person is really good enough on their own. All have sinned and fallen short. That means all of us. Nobody's any better than anybody else. We're all the same, just in need of God's grace. And nobody comes to the throne of God as a CEO. Nobody brings their resume. Nobody brings their LinkedIn profile. Can I tell you something very clearly? If you're a CEO, if you're a leader, if you own a company, if you oversee a bunch of people, you got a lot of people under you, if you're retired, if you've made some money, if you can travel, if you can go and do whatever you want, you got free time, you can do all these things, God's not impressed. And if you're an addict, if you don't have a pot to pee in, If the only degree you have is your temperature, if you have a criminal record, God is not repulsed. It's just about God's grace. First offer, steal this book and just meet God in it. Here's the second and the most important offer. Before you walk out this door, I'm going to give you a chance to make the same decision that Luke and Chad made. And you can do it right there where you're seated symbolically in your heart about what I'm about to do physically, okay? You can do this right now in your heart. God, I'm not going to sit in this chair anymore. 
I'm not going to be ruler or in charge of my life anymore. Would you please send your son Jesus into my life to sit on the throne of my life? And Jesus, I surrender to you my little kingdom, my life, my will, my money, my time, my talent, my gift, my relation, my words. I surrender my everything to you. In fact, I die to myself so I might live in you. You are now my CEO. You're in charge of me, and I'll look for your direction. Whether you want to or not, every human being will come to that place where you've got to have the wisdom to choose. Are you going to be king or are you going to let Jesus be your king? And I'm going to guess there's somebody here maybe this morning that needs to make that decision. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody just to close their eyes. Close their eyes. Kind of bow your head. And if you're here this morning, and for the first time, or maybe the second or third, here's what I know what happens. Some of you, you get out of the chair, and then you run and get back in it after a while. Hey, Jesus, I changed my mind. I like being in charge of me. I'm going to do what I want. But this morning, you're getting up again. You say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I did it again. I want you to sit in the throne of my life and be my commander-in-chief, to be my CEO. If this is you this morning, I'm going to invite you, please, to pray. Just repeat after me out loud. And to help, I want everybody in the room to pray, to encourage those around us, whether you're doing this or not. Just repeat after me out loud. God, I acknowledge I need you. I've messed up more than I know. I have regrets. I have done things. I have said things. I have been places that make me ashamed. I want a clean slate with you. I want a fresh start with you. And I ask you, God, no resumes, no trying to impress you, would you just love me through the cross of Jesus who died for me? Would you come into my life and take over? Take over my time, my behavior, my words, my relationships, my money, my life, my death. I want to be a follower of Jesus, to know him as my forgiver, my friend, my savior, my Lord. Amen. Every eye closed, every head bowed, please. If there's someone here this morning who sincerely not just because others were saying it, but you really want Jesus to be on the throne of your life. I want to pray for you. Just a moment, I want to pray for you, to encourage you before you go out the door. So anybody that's sitting on the right-hand side of the auditorium, down the center aisle on the right-hand side, front or back, I'm just going to give you just a moment. Would you please just kind of look up and let me see you and just kind of give me head contact. If you want to kind of raise a finger or hand, you can. And I see you, just so I, so I know who I'm praying over. I see you. I see you. Look back at the back. I see you at the back. See you, yes, ma'am. Yep. Now, on the left side of the room, same thing. I see you, sir. Yes, sir, I do. I see your sincerity in your eyes, even from here. Yes, ma'am, I see you on the front. I see you. Yes, I see you out there in the middle in the back. I see you. At the very back, the hand in the very, very back, I see you, yes. Yes. And I tell you what, if I don't see you, I see yes, ma'am. God sees you. And that's what matters. I just want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, you know every story. You see every heart. 
You love every man, woman, and child in this room who can hear my voice right now, God. And I know you know everything. You know about every hand raised. You, you know about what's going on. You know about every surrendered will. You know about every pain. You know about every death. You know about every grief. You know about every addiction. You know about every confusion. You know about every magic and sorcery stuff we've been looking to for answers, God. You know it all that's led us to this place right now. And we just thank you for your grace, for your healing grace for your sustaining grace, for your goodness, God, that meets us at this place we come face to face with you. So God, I pray you would just pour out your love and grace over these who have just kind of had this moment with you. We rejoice anytime, God, someone makes a decision to put Jesus on the throne of their life. And we ask now that you would come into their life in a real and powerful way. And bring God the right person, the right conversation, the right help, so they can take their next step in their journey with Jesus. And God, for anybody who's resisting, for anybody who who just feels like they want to, but they just can't, God, would you please just keep speaking and keep nudging until they get out of that chair and they let you sit there? Because I know, God, that's the only time that true life is going to experience for them. So now, God, for all of us, give us the serenity to accept what we cannot change, the courage to change what we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me and give a round of applause for everybody who made such a decision today? Because I promise you, they're shouting in heaven. They're clapping in heaven. They're happy about it. And if you've done that, you're going to be baptized. Let us know. Let us know. Now turn to somebody, give a high five, say Merry Christmas, and say God loves you.